0: Hello and welcome to Red Nets, the official podcast of Empire of the Cop. It's, uh, it's been another week. It's been another crazy, crazy week in the world of Liverpool. We've had matches. We've had no transfers. We've had transfers elsewhere. We've had stuff and things. It's been a crazy, crazy week of nothingness, really. Uh, but join us, as always, is it's Feral and yeah let's uh let's get into the the bologna recap uh so yesterday Liverpool played two sixty minute matches uh against bologna uh I think it's safe to say it wasn't the best advertisements
1: for Serie A football, but yeah Steve what did you make of it yeah so I mean first on Bologna it's obviously uh Liverpool are further along in their preparations and uh Bologna are a mid-table Serie A team. So we have to keep that in mind. But um, yeah, I mean, it was fairly textbook for Liverpool. You know, it was it, it, just very straightforward. There was a couple of times where Liverpool probably could have actually took Bologna to the sword a bit more, to be honest with you. But I think uh, the players just in pre-season, they're just being a bit creative, being a little bit relaxed. They're not really as drilled as they would be during the uh, full season. That's how we see in Mo Salah chances that he usually would bury uh, you'd have to imagine if we were playing Norwich he would have scored them um, but yeah it was it was a, a solid uh two sixty minute period and obviously the big takeaways from the game um, is Van Dijk and Gomez's returns both played uh, just over 40 minutes
0: yes it's, it's, it's always great to see them uh, back on the pitch especially after they had that 10 minute cameo at the end at the end of the last match but now seeing them playing you know what is effectively, you know, a, a half's worth of, of football? The wheels of progress are turning. We're almost back to that stage where we were before it all fell apart last season. The wheels completely fell off. Farrell, did you did you watch the match? What did you think of? Let's let's start with uh, match number one. Uh, did you, you did you watch? Did you, what did you think? Yeah, I thought
2: it was good. I think, like Steve says. Definitely could have had a few more. There were definitely a few more goals there to be had. But I suppose the main thing with pre-seasons, you just want to see, you know, things like the tactics working out, the players looking sharp. And I think the good news is, is certainly Sadio Mane looked really up for it in that first hour. So um, certainly promising off the back of that last season. And his very helpful. Also thought Harvey Elliott was really impressive in that midfield role, you know, making late runs into the box. It was that moment where... He struck that volley, not quite so well, but it's 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 good to see him in that in that role, sort of taking it you know, with those late runs. And I think he could definitely be in
0: line for some minutes next season. So I'll I'll confess, I didn't actually. Well, I had the match on in the background. I wasn't paying the most attention to it. I had a lot of work on it at the time, just sort of catching out the corner of my eye a few glimpses. Spotted that like you know Elliot was playing in this midfield role, so. Steve, like, what did what do you think of of uh, Elliot's in that position? Like, do you do you think it's a it's something that is fairly drilled out in training? Do you think it's something that they're still sort of experimenting on? Is this something that we can see uh, uh, Elliot playing a lot of in that sort of midfield role in, in the coming season, or is this just sort of like a let's just test the waters a little bit when no one's really paying attention?
1: I, th- I think it is experimental uh, more than anything. I think I think it's yeah you find out what sort of positions he can rely on Elliot in I mean we've seen Ox playing in the nine role as well uh, usually obviously Firmino's up there we've seen players uh, playing different types of roles uh, Jotel has played as a nine as well he did that against Bologna he was switching with Mo on the right hand side you, we used to seeing him on the left so I think there's um, just Jürgen playing around uh, in these games where he can't really lose obviously if we'd have lost 4-0 to Bologna we'd have woke up today and not really cared but um, He's just sort of playing around with these things and I think, um, yeah, I, I do think there's the possibility we could see Elliot in that position uh, going into the season. Um, I didn't expect him to become a potential central midfield uh, option for Liverpool. Obviously, he did play there a couple of times for for Blackburn, but I, I just thought, yeah, he might get a couple of games at the right wing. But it's it's interesting to see, but... I mean, we're gonna we're gonna see if that might impact uh, the likes of Curtis Jones this coming season as well. If Elliot is preferred in that central midfield role, that doesn't really leave Curtis Jones with a wealth of options because he's not shown the same versatility. Obviously, he was he played as a left midfielder and as a winger in the academy, but um, we haven't seen him really play much there for the uh, the senior side. So that'll be interesting to see going forward. Mm.
0: Uh, so, Farrell, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a really loaded question on you now. Is harvey elliott the genie wijnaldum replacement because i mean we've had uh links to so many replacements uh over the summer and nothing's come to fruition nothing looks like it'll probably come to fruition is this sort of Klopp's get out of jail free card i've not
2: i mean he's not really been played deep enough in pre-season to be sort of an exact precise wijnaldum replacement but there are elements to his game that you can sort of point to and go, well, you know, that, that that's similar to the kind of stuff one Adam were doing, I'm, I'm speaking more specifically in a sort of tactical sense because the main thing that Jeannie particularly excelled in, you know, beyond his just sheer durability was that I think he understood sort of the modern defensive requirements as part of the build role so that he, you know, not just about sort of those big crunching tackles, it's about sort of understanding where to position yourself on the pitch, you know, covering passing lanes, just being generally sort of tactically astute. I think it all all comes down to sort of this, I'm going to bring in Van Dijk here because he very much understands that as part of his own game. It's all about sort of preventative measures to sort of frustrate opponents, you know, force a mistake, wanting to correct a mistake of your own. I think, again, there are elements of that from what Javier has shown in in pre-season. But I, I feel, because he's been playing more of an advanced role, he's not that direct Alden replacement you're looking for. There are elements there in his pressing, but it's not, it's not perfect, it's not developed. But obviously, he's a young player, plenty of time for him to improve. But for, in my opinion, I just think he's a bit more advanced than what we'd need in that direct, for a direct replacement.
0: Yeah, obviously, if he's, if he's a former wing, yeah. Then he's going to be slightly, slightly more forward in, in his in a midfield position. Yeah. Again, like I said, I didn't really see an awful lot of uh, of him to, uh, to keep an eye on. So that was the the, the first match. Uh, the second match uh, ended off one nil. Uh, I've in my notes I've got tacky goal brackets. Chef's kiss. It was a it was a great little uh, thud right in the back of the net. It was what you like to see in a preseason friendly. What do you think of of Taki's performance, Steve? Because I mean, like, there's a lot of expectation on him this season to really step up, especially after after his loan to Southampton, um, and it's just sort of he he's kind of fallen by the way it comes to Liverpool. So seeing him get
1: a goal is always nice to see. Yeah, um, <clears throat> Taki's goal, and um, you know, by association, uh, Shakiri's assist uh, is is what you expect world class footballers to do against um an opposition that were playing like a Sunday League team. Um They just it was it was uh, to be honest, it was a bit embarrassing for, for Bologna uh, to, to see that. But it was it was a moment of genius from both um Shaqiri and Minamino, and it shows that uh, there is a mutual understanding among the players that they know to look for these types of uh, runs and look for these types of passes. So it, it, it's really good to see, especially uh, you know uh, Shaqiri and Minamino, who probably aren't really expected to play together all that much. Um, in terms of Minamino's actual performance in the game, I think he was, uh, he, he was one of the more outstanding players. Um, I, it, it's, it's, I know it was only an hour-long game and it's still pre-season, but you wouldn't think that he was, uh, he'd was he been busy over the summer. Um, he, he was just like a machine. Uh, and it was one of the things that obviously attracted Jürgen Klopp to him when he played in uh, Salzburg um, is, is the way he relentlessly presses. And we've seen that against uh, Bologna as well he didn't stop for the entire time he was on the pitch and um, you know I think he is looking to impress Klopp because uh, I, I think he's I think he's aware that he is sorted in the way he does need to prove his worth um, and yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does in the remaining two games if he plays uh, and you know, more of them this coming season so I think he's a really exciting player so Farrell what did you make
0: of the the second match I mean that we, we also had in that second match we had a, a missed penalty from uh, divok which I mean you don't you don't really want to see but I'd rather see missed penalties in preseason friendly than uh, at any other time in the season so if you're going to do something like that now is your time to be doing it
2: no absolutely I mean for me um, again it was sort of another half where a young uh, starlet sort of excelled uh, I think Cade Gordon was absolutely fantastic in that uh, that second half You know, he looked very comfortable at a senior level but then again you sort of have to take it with a pinch of salt up against sort of a mid-table Serie A side um, but just in terms of just the, the work rate again the, the vision on offer, you know for a 16 year old I think it's very impressive if he continues to deliver these kind of performances in pre-season i would not be really surprised at all Klopp's heads turned and you know, hands on a few minutes, certainly at the very least in cup competitions. um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot on Mm -hmm. offer there. Also, I think another sort of standout moment for me was certainly Gomez's sort of long diagonal balls, especially if you look with the Simakas down on that sort of left flank, you know, absolutely loves going up, doesn't he? (laughs) But um, yeah, Gomez's diagonals, I think alongside Van Dijk as well, we've really missed that range of passing as, as a part of our forward play. I would say you know, alongside with sort of the loss of crowds, um, lo- losing that that pe- the, that pair of centre backs was absolutely pivotal in terms of how the form of like sort of and F- Firmino sort of dipped in the second half of the season. So having those two back, I think, will be really instrumental into see- seeing sort of better performances from our sort of forward line. Uh,
0: Steve, did
1: you make much of the the second match? Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, aside from um... Minamino, yeah, um, as as uh, Farrell said, Simi Kass was uh, particularly. Awesome. Uh, and then when Kay Gordon came off the bench, I thought he was really good. Um, like Farrell said, just sort of slotted into the team, did a hard place, which is incredible for a 16 year old. Um, uh, You know, we're in a position where we're looking at the likes of Gordon and we're looking at the likes of Elliot. And we're thinking, you know, we've got a few gems on our hands here, especially Elliot with the, uh, the season we had last term. But yeah, it's a very exciting time, I'd say. Um, yeah I mean um, I, I, I'll i be honest with you I, I paid more attention to the first game I don't know whether I was a little bit tanked out from the second game uh, two, two hours of football you know uh, the players didn't even do two hours of football they did an hour each apart from Ben Woodburn who featured in both games but um, yeah obviously the first game was a bit more exciting we had the goals and obviously Arigi, like you say missing the penalty but thankfully it's in, uh, it's in pre-season but um, yeah no it was, it was textbook it was Nice. nice. Uh, really enjoyed seeing Minamino and Simicash, and Antfadel said uh, quite rightly, uh, Gordon is uh, an exciting player.
0: So the the future's bright from the from the looks of things. But it's it's even brighter because over the last week or so, we've had uh, three major contract renewals. Uh, we've had Trent, who's signed a four year deal, which will take him to twenty twenty five, according to reports. That will make him the highest earner or one of the highest earners at the club uh not the highest earner but one of allison has also a new contract uh, six years which will take him to 2027 as well as fabinho uh who signed a five-year deal which will take him to 2026. i mean in this day and age contracts don't really mean an awful lot but always nice to see players putting pen to paper and sort of renewing their commitment to the cause and the club renewing their commitment to the players, especially after what's what's happened uh, with the whole Wijnaldum situation. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a dumb dumb question asking if you're excited about these contracts being signed, Feral, but I mean, because <laughs> obviously the answer is probably going to be yes, unless you've got some sort of vendetta against... you got something against Fabinho, no? I absolutely love
2: Fabinho, mate. No, I, I... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think but ultimately in the grand scheme of things we'd love to see more transfers coming in you know we need two times ideally we've known that since the start of the window but the fact of the matter is is these contracts are a really undervalued bit of business for Liverpool because fundamentally it's easy to forget that not, not so long ago when Klopp first took over the side of you know but a few gems throughout this throughout the team but on a whole, we weren't sort of anywhere close to that sort of level of, you know, a world-class star in every sort of position. So fundamentally, you know, if we're looking to sustain success, you have to hand the contracts to these players. It's important to keep them there for You know, that's ultimately, and I know it's frustrating seeing, like, you know, City and our rivals are sort of spending a lot of money on new signings, but our style is already pretty fantastic and it's absolutely pivotal. That we keep them at the club for as, as long as humanly possible.
0: Uh, well, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll turn the city situation uh, in a in a few minutes. But Steve, with with all of these contracts being signed, uh, do you feel like we and we've we've still got the Henderson question mark in the air? Uh, Salah is suspected to be the last one to. To, to sign basically because you know it would make him the highest earner so you want to get everyone else off the table first before going to Salah do you think it's a situation where we're looking at uh short-term financial gain in terms of if one of these players wants to turn around and you know move elsewhere like in, in Salah's situation there's also a, there's a lot of rumors about him wanting to go to Real Madrid obviously their financial situation is is you know, messed up at the moment. But, you know, is it is this the club locking players down because they want them around? Or is this a case of locking players down to maximise any incomings when they go out? I, th- I
1: think i think in hand. Um, I do think, though, well, I mean, we've showed, it, it, the club showed it in the past that it doesn't really think too much in terms of tactical stuff because, you know, Alden and Klopp's most used midfielder was allowed to leave the club. <clears throat> so I, I don't really think they think too much in regards uh, to stuff like that. That's a player who's worth probably about £100 million, and he's gone to PSG for, you know, obviously, butman's basically, you know, just the contract and the agent stuff that they had to sort out. But yeah, I mean, Henderson's obviously a concern going forward. He's got two years remaining on his deal. It doesn't seem to be much going on behind the scenes. And I think the next one after him will be Roberto Firmino. I think it's going to be another player that we're probably going to see in a very similar position, where it's going to cause, a in the fan base again. So hopefully the club does learn from the vinyl album stuff and uh, move forward with uh, Henderson and know.
0: It's tough being a Liverpool fan and seeing like the the slow crawl of some of these sagas, and yet at the same time you look, you know, just up the road and you see Manchester City. Uh, and uh, I mean, we might as well go on to them. Like, we yesterday when we're when we're recording this, uh, Jack Grealish was uh, was announced as the world record, well, record fee paid for a English player, English transfer, and that was for a hundred million pounds, which is just, I mean, Steve, the mad- madness that's going on at City right now. What do you make of it?
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's nuts, isn't it? and obviously there's rumors about Harry Kane as well, and and even. More recently, in Messi, you sort of gotta wonder where it stops. Really, in terms of much is is one club allowed to spend? I mean, just just during Guardiola's ring, I think I read yesterday that it's it's only about well, they're a full back away from spending one billion pounds since uh, Guardiola took charge over there, and it's it's just crazy. And you know, uh, it's a part of me feels a little bit I don't know bitter when I'm complaining about it. But I mean, it is hard to watch your club sort of umming and iron an overspending an, an extra like 10 million euros on a world-class football but, like, when you've got Manchester City signing, you know, Ingrid Elish, who personally, you know, I think, I think he's symbolic of like the dream. Like when you're growing up and you want to be a footballer playing for the local football club and all that, and he came through the youth ranks and he brought the club up to the Premier League, became the captain and... Now he's in a position where, obviously, he's signed for Man City and it sort of crushed that kind of little boy dream that's that's there. But I understand why he's done it. Obviously, he's moved to what the the best team in the country, you could say. Well, they are the current champions. You can definitely say that. So I can see why he's done it, but it's, it's, it is hard to see. But yeah, the money over there, it's crazy. And you've got to wonder when FFB are going to actually do something about it. Yeah, it's...
0: I mean, obviously, we've had the. Uh, don't want to get too deep into it because obviously there's there's a lot to go into, but obviously they've had the the legal setback where they've had all the the emails released to the, to the to the public about the investigation into FFP, and I mean Farrell, the the money churn over at City just doesn't seem to end. Yesterday as well, like Steve touched on there, Lionel Messi was announced as not. Uh, signing for Barcelona on, a, on another contract they just cannot afford to keep him on with their current restrictions. La Sport have said Lionel Messi has so far received one concrete and official offer from the City Football Group and that is a three-year contract which has been proposed uh, the first two years at Manchester City the final year at New York City so he gets that sort of MLS Hollywood or oh, Hollywood is like the opposite end of the country to New York, but you get what I mean, like, like sort of sunset goodbye, although, although he might you know return to, to Argentina and, uh, and play in the Argentinian League for a little bit closer to, to his real home. do you think that Lionel Messi could grace the Premier League in city colors anytime soon?
2: thought of the city adding Messi. To their squad, I mean, it's it's just unfathomable, isn't it? I mean, even at 34 years of age, he's, he's the best boys, the best player in the world. You add Messi to that city squad, and it, it's frightening, absolutely frightening. I, I don't I I can't see it happening, to be honest, uh, in my opinion. But um I, th- I think it's interesting you point to Barcelona, because I think that obviously the the current Prominent example of where reckless spending gets you. Um, obviously, city situation is very different with like you know the sponsorship deals and the inflation going on around that. But there's a lot to be said because u- ultimately city spending is constantly used as a bat to beat FSG over the head with in terms of our own comparative spending. But there's a lot to be said for how effective our sustainable model has been. I know that's not necessarily a popular opinion at the moment, but Ultimately, the model works, the model's been successful. A lot of that, or a little of it, depending on your opinion, maybe down is, is down to Jürgen Klopp. But um, yeah, I just think it, it's, it's it's worth bearing in mind sort of where we've got, how we've got to where we are now currently and how, I don't know, I suppose we have to be sort of grateful for how we're run, even though we might not have the sort of financial backing that sides like sort of chelsea and manchester city have
0: it's an interesting point that you raise about you know it being uh, cuz let's face it with the exception of you know like a two year spint, we haven't really been quote unquote successful i mean like I, and i say that i kind of sound a bit sort of a, a, a bit some people could take that out of context and be it's a bit spoiled of me to say that the fact that we've won a European Cup, a Premier League, most teams would 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 dream of of achieving those things, and, and we've done that in a in a small period of time. But like you know, when we haven't been picking up the little cups, domestic cups here and there, you know, I mean, even Arsenal seem to be hovering around the FA Cup pretty much every season. Can you really say that? we have been successful when you've got the likes of city spending and the and the, that's let's not forget that they usually doubles trebles whatever it is like during klop's reign like do, do, do you think that that's something that is even achievable for us if we maintain this not nickel
1: and diming model but you know what i mean yeah um I think it would take a stroke of luck, to be honest with you. Um, I think the main thing, and we've touched upon it a few weeks now, is um, Liverpool squad depth. If you look at Liverpool's starting 11, we can beat any team in the world. Uh, on our day, we can beat anybody. But if you throw a few injuries into the mix to some key players, we don't really have the facilities to, to back up these these first-team players. If Alisson gets injured, you know, and go all those colour hair, who's obviously a fantastic goalkeeper, but... We're talking about a significant drop off. If Trent gets injured, Nico Williams, you know, if um, Salah gets injured, um, Shaqiri, Um, again another quality player, but and a significant drop off. And I think that's really where we kind of, you know, you said it yourself there about you know the idea that we're talking about Liverpool winning the Premier League, the Champions League, and not the FA Cup. It's obviously quite quite a good position to be in. Some teams would be, uh, would. Snatch the chance to even play in these competitions, if I might win them. But um, we are talking about one of the, the biggest teams in the world, and yeah, obviously a measure of success is winning these sort of domestic, uh, not domestic trebles. but, yeah, maybe domestic treble, but like we're talking about these big trebles, um, which you know, City have won over the years. United have famously won a couple themselves. We, we've won some uh, twenty odd years ago. Um, yeah, of course, but we we are we are missing that. Uh, second string, which Man City have, have got in abundance. They've arguably got a third string at this point. Um, even Chelsea and Manchester United are seemingly be putting together a better second-11 than what Liverpool have got. So, yeah, if uh, the stroke of luck really comes from if we can avoid injuries and if we get a few diamonds in the rough that we didn't expect, the likes of Simicast, the likes of Harvey Elliott, people that are going to shine in the FA Cup. So far. uh,
0: Farrell, I'm going to throw a question at you now. So, my argument... Is that we're we're essentially, and this is mad again, mad to say after we've won, you know, Champions League, Premier League, I, I would suggest that we're, we're still halfway through building up the ultimate squad, and my and my reasoning for that is that we're, we're still every single time we have a successful period, we get screwed over the next season financially. I mean, look at how, I mean, obviously COVID is is a bit of an outlier. But when, as soon as the the bonuses and everything start to kick into gear, the salary figures go through the roof because of all these clauses that we're having to pay out for, and then you know that that hampers us in the transfer window to effectively build from there. We we've been successful almost too quickly, to some extent, and that a slower burn could have but could have and still has the potential of creating a greater squad. Because if we're not hitting as many top targets, we are getting these... I mean, this is going to sound like I've got a major, you know, crush on the domestic cups. But if we're winning smaller competitions here and there, the salary bonuses aren't kicking in as as effectively as they have been. I mean, we don't have a full insight into everyone's contracts, but you would assume that, you know, Domestic Cups aren't paying out as much as the Premier League or Champions League. So you're effectively building up, it's a slower burn. You get what I'm saying. Like, Would you agree that a slower build to success would mean that we would have the finances then to, to, to sign more key players, or do you think we just wouldn't be able to sign the key players? <sighs>
2: It's a tough one because I think I'd be lying if I didn't look at City sometimes and think, you know, it'd be nice to win the Carabao Cup, win F every now and then. You know, they aren't, as as you've rightly pointed out, they're not the trophies you want to go for if you're looking to sort of um, recoup some serious prize money. You know, all all the money there is in winning the Premier League, it's in winning the Champions League. You know, you can observe that simply just by looking at the money you get just by making the group stage of the Champions League. I think... The problem you have is that to attract the kind of players you need to build that fantastic world-beating squad, you need to be in contention constantly for the Premier League. You need to be in the Champions League. You need to be reaching the latter stages of the Champions League. Um, so then you're almost to get that sort of slow burn, as you as you mentioned, you're almost looking then to sort of build young, to sort of aim as I think has certainly been hinted to into that in terms of our own to transfer plans aim at getting those 20 to 24 year olds and then building that team that's capable of challenging for domestic uh, cup competitions just as much as sort of um, Champions League um, it, it, it's a balance, it's a, balance and it's a difficult balance to strike because simply our finances can't compete with the level that City and Chelsea have it just it's just it's not there so I, I think <laughs> what, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is basically I think to a certain degree we're always going to have to prioritise that, that elite level of competition because I think unless for whatever reason we have a change of owners, we, we don't have the financial flexibility to um, challenge for all competitions because ultimately you need a deep squad and um, well, as, as we've certainly seen in the city, very few have the finances to fund that sort of work
0: 11. So, Stee. On the surface, we seem to have the sponsorship money coming in that rivals the likes of Manchester United, and yet there they are. They've signed over the last few years. They've signed Sancho. They've signed Pogba. They've signed like all these big players. You know, we're finally. You know, we've signed an, a really good deal from all from all accounts with Nike. And it just seems like, you know, we are still suffering and yet you you, you see them and they're, they're still making major signings. Like, why why are we in this situation yet it doesn't seem to be affecting anyone else?
1: I think it's it's always been FSG's model to be sustainable. Like, uh, Favre touched on it before that Barcelona had that sort of, like what you're saying there about being very brightly. Um, obviously, they heavily invested. In their squad, uh, certainly improved Messi's terms over the years, and now they're in a position where they're looking like they're starting to fall apart uh, in on themselves. And um, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to say that City and Chelsea is not a sustainable project, but certainly I, I, I don't feel like they can continue spending as much as they are now indefinitely. Um, Liverpool's uh, project is definitely more sustainable but the only problem with uh, FSG's thinking if that is indeed the case and it does appear to be the case is that players aid um, and you know you need to invest in the younger players like um, obviously Manchester City have uh, struck gold in, in Foden uh, but they brought in 25 year old Grealish you know he's, he's about to go into his, his peak and um, you know you, you do have to spend money to bring in these really high calibre young players bank on getting a Foden or a Bellingham and even Bellingham's gone for quite decent money to uh, Borussia Dortmund but um, you know it's, all you can really do from our perspective is it's a bit of a gamble but you've got to cross your fingers and just hope the likes of Harvey Elliott Curtis Jones and even Kate Gordon and you know to a degree that is investment we obviously picked up Gordon from, from Derby County, he didn't come through our youth ranks because it's, it's definitely a different way of going about things um, and you know in the very long term, Liverpool could be the more sustainable project than um, Manchester City and, uh, and Chelsea. Yeah, that's a great point you mentioned about,
0: um, you know, Gordon <laughs> picking him up from Derby. I mean, we, we, I mean, we didn't uh, have Gomez come through the academy ranks. We, we uh, plucked him from... Oh, where did we pluck him? Cheltenham. Cheltenham, yeah, that's Charlton. it. Um, so, yeah, there is something to be said about, um, you know, buying Young and, and just sort of throwing them into the mix. Um, but I mean, I, th- I think that's pretty much all we've got time for this week. There's a lot to be said about, I mean, we, we didn't touch on, uh, if Messi would, uh, a move for Messi would kill off Harry Kane's move to, to city probably spoiler alert anyway. Uh, yeah. Thank you again to Steve and Farrell and thank you for listening. And we will see you next week for yet another episode of Red Nets. Bye for now.